This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. The value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. In South Africa, 91 is an authorized financial services provider. Value stocks have recently come to the fore, and it's been a few months now that they started to resuscitate themselves. With me on this podcast is Steve Woolley, Portfolio Manager at 91 in London, and also his colleague Alessandro Di Carado, both Portfolio Managers in the Value Capability at 91. Alessandro, I'll start with you because you're alphabetically at the top of the list here. It seems to me that value investors... Value portfolio managers spend years looking over their shoulder enviously at the growth managers. But when things start to happen, they really do start to happen. Where are we in the cycle at the moment? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for that. No, it's, um, I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to know for sure. Um, it's the type of situation where you'd love to have a crystal ball. I think what's, what's happening is clearly the market is, is recognizing there's a bit of a recovery going on. And whether that's a, a COVID recovery or a general cyclical recovery, it's repricing some stocks higher. And to the extent that some sectors still have room to run, the opportunity in, in value is actually quite attractive, particularly when you think about it in terms relative to the market and relative to the opportunity set where a lot of, of the more popular uh, stocks at the moment are overvalued. So we think that there's still a, an opportunity even after value has done so well until now over the last six months or so. But obviously, uh, you also need to be a little bit a little bit selective about things because a lot of things are are fully priced. Stephen, I'll I'll continue with my generalized theme and say to you, is it because of vaccines? Is it because of GDP picking up? I mean, we saw the IMF saying that, for example, in the United States of America, GDP might be as high as six percent or even more in 2021. And is there also an argument to say that inflation might boost these value stocks that have been in the doldrums for quite a while? Sure. Um, so value does tend to correlate with some some fairly kind of pro-cyclical um, macro variables, some of which you've outlined, whether it's GDP growth, whether it's inflation, whether it's rising interest rate expectations. And we personally, well, as, as, as a team, uh, we think that value is one of the few styles that can really do well in that kind of pro-growth environment, particularly versus where um, the market and, and certain sectors and, and, and styles are trading today. So that certainly helped in terms of the recent value performance, that expectation of higher growth, the recovery post the COVID downturn um, and associated pickup in inflation and uh, and interest rate expectations. But another point you made was also, you know, have value having been in the doldrums for so long. And yes, there's been a recovery, but on a longer term view uh, or even a shorter term view, it's barely a blip in terms of kind of the underperformance that value had suffered over over one, three, five, ten years. So there's a hell of a lot of runway still for, for value to run in terms of um, future performance, um, we think, in terms of the value style, but particularly in terms of the companies that we're invested in. Alessandro, the vaccine story is a fascinating one to me. I mean, I'm obsessed with watching the BBC in the morning and seeing what's going on in the UK. But although that there's been a few hiccups and uh, there's been certain amount of criticism about the way that the government has handled things in the UK. The country has been incredibly successful relative to other countries. And does that mean that when you look at value with your value capability at 91 in London, do you look at the UK and say, this is where the value is? 
you're, I mean, you're absolutely right that the, the one thing in this pandemic response that the UK government has got right is the vaccination strategy. It's been very beneficial to value stocks in London, particularly in the UK, particularly the travel exposed stocks, because what the vaccination strategy means is that there's a, there's a high likelihood that the summer season coming up is going to be more or less a normal summer season. Not quite, obviously, 100% of normal, but it might be you know, between 60 and 80% of normal, which is really all that travel companies need to at least break even and not and not lose further further value. And so that's very helpful from a UK perspective because it does help a lot. Now, UK stocks were cheap to begin with because the uncertainty of Brexit and the political uncertainty that, that, that followed had made the UK one of the cheapest markets, cheapest developed markets around. And so the, the UK market was cheap to begin with. But now this quick vaccination strategy really kind of gives it a little bit of a, of a boost, which is why we continue to be overweight in our global portfolio. Steve, this is just a blip simply because of the vaccine optimism that Alessandra has just outlined, or is is this the real thing? And tell me more about the cyclical nature of, of value stocks. When they start to take off, how long does the cycle take? And at what stage of the economic cycle or the market cycle do value stocks start to come in? There's a couple of questions in that one. Sure. I guess the kind of how long lived will the recovery be across kind of the number of themes we talked about, whether it's UK stocks and the recovery of um, UK kind of the market post Brexit or the recovery of value generally. These these trends can really kind of persist for for many years. And as I kind of alluded to earlier, the recent recovery really just looks like a blip on the longer term chart. So there's no reason to suggest that, you know, we're nearly the end of a of a limp value recovery, if you like. This could be a trade or a trend that, that persists for um, persists for a long time and, and, and for, a, for a prolonged cycle. That's not a prediction. You know, we can have bumps and blips along the way. But I think the various periods of value outperformance over the decades, and let's not forget value has outperformed over the longer term, those periods have tended to be prolonged, you know, multiple years, I believe, over over various past cycles. So this could be a sustained recovery. And for what it's worth, I think fund managers as a whole are overweight um, value or believe value will outperform over the next 12 months, I think with the highest proportion of, of the past 15 years based on a recent survey we saw. So we are starting to see some belief, I guess, of in third parties and other market participants, um, that this could be a sustainable value rally. Of course, we don't um, invest on that basis. We just look for attractively valued stocks and position our portfolios accordingly. But we don't see there's any reason that this should be a, a short-lived recovery and we could be just be at the start of a, a cycle of, of value outperformance. I'll stay with you, Steve, just for one more question, if you would. What you've just said, you look at attractively valued stocks in your value capability. But when you look at the macro picture, when you look at inflation, for example, I see the corn price, the wheat price, the iron ore price, the steel price in China. Watch them you know, look at the CRB index every single morning and see what's going on. How important is inflation? Tell me about inflation when it comes to value investing. Sure. So, I mean, as we commented already, um, inflation does tend to correlate well with with, with value outperformance. So, if we if we had that as a as a tailwind to our value strategy, we'd certainly take it. And there are certain sectors and businesses that we are uh, invested in or exposed to that would do well in a pro-inflationary environment. Some of the money centre banks, both in the US and and the UK that we hold, some of the energy stocks would tend to do well in an inflationary environment, and some of the more cyclical um, companies as well. Uh, 
uh, would do a better job, we think, of pricing on inflation to their customers or through higher profit margins than some other sectors of the market. And we think value is probably the only real game in town factor-wise that, based on today's prices, uh, would do relatively well in an inflationary environment. That said, we don't depend on inflation when we value our companies and when we look to make a a good return on our invested capital. So it would more be a a kind of an an extra cherry on top, if you like, to our valuation cases for our stocks that we're invested in. And I guess that relates to another final point I'd make that, although we've talked about the cyclicality of of value and the cyclicality of the stocks we've been invested in that have done well, well for us over the past six or so months, value itself doesn't necessarily have to just correlate to to cyclical businesses and industries. There will be time when more staple like businesses or healthcare or consumer staples themselves will, will fall into our value radar. And we we at 91 will attempt to move kind of nimbly between value styles as they present opportunity to us in the market. Alessandra, tell me how nimble you are at the moment and talk about the process at 91 and the balance in your portfolios at the moment and how you might be positioned in your value capability. Yeah, we try and cast as wide a net as possible, certainly at the idea generation phase. And so we we go through a a huge number of of stocks in what I would say uh, medium depth to try and quickly sort through the opportunity set and, and try and figure out where interesting opportunities might be. And we are starting to see a difference in terms of the opportunity set between what it was, let's say, back in April through October of 2020, where anything that was mildly cyclical was was really on its knees. I mean, you had you could buy you could buy some travel-related companies for the equivalent of three or four times normalized earnings, sometimes even less. But even more, not necessarily travel-related businesses, but but just cyclical businesses you could buy on five or six times earnings. So we were doing a lot of that at the time. And now that there's been a broad-based recovery in everything cyclical, the trade is not so obvious. They're obviously concentrated in cyclical shares anymore. And so what we're seeing, which is actually what, what Steve was saying, that we, we rotate between the opportunities as and when the opportunity arises, depending on where, where the opportunity might be. So at the moment, what we're seeing is a lot more idiosyncratic stories. So we, we, we've sold down some of our cyclical exposure. We still have some. We think some, some companies are attractive. But it's now become a game of picking which battles you you fight rather than saying, oh, I'm just going to buy a broad spectrum of value and expect to, and expect to outperform. So, yeah, we're, we're looking at much more idiosyncratic things, which we're finding in, in what we call fallen angels, you know, the more stable stuff, compounder stocks sometimes, staple companies that are growing steadily 4 or 5% per year and maybe are trading on low teens multiples. That kind of thing is becoming more common. It's interesting, Steve, that Alessandra said the word idiosyncratic. That sort of suggests to me that you have a different approach to value investing than your peers. You may be slightly more creative, or am I being fanciful? No, it's a fair point. And um, I think we'd kind of like to highlight that it does differentiate ourselves from our peers. You know, some of um, those specific value styles are, are fine and they work in certain market environments. But we think there's a time to move between value styles. So deep value is probably the most traditional value style buying mediocre businesses very, very cheaply, a traditional kind of low price to book based investing that's worked for decades. And we do have some of those kind of stocks in the portfolio and we've held them in higher weight in the past. We think there's a time to move to other value themes, whether it's those fallen angels that Alessandro has referred to or when cyclical stocks were selling off. 
we really increased our weighting to cyclical leaders as we deem them, those those cyclical businesses that dominate a given industry that trade very, very cheaply. So we do think it is not necessarily unique, but certainly a differentiating factor of us that we will move between those value styles as and when the opportunities present, you know, to I guess to oversimplify, sometimes we're more Ben Graham and sometimes we're more Warren Buffett. And mm-hmm. um, when it's time to move from one to the other, we'll happily do so across our portfolios. I'm going to ask the same question to both of you just as we finish this. And uh, stay with you, Steve, on this one. If you take the COVID story and the vaccination story out of the equation, there still must be companies, uh, even without those factors, are presenting fantastic value. That's absolutely the case. And it's kind of like, you know, even at the start of 2020, before the COVID crisis hit, that was already the case. Value was already looking oversold relative to its own history, relative to the broader market. And even though we've had a recovery in the past six months, that is still the case. And given the huge cohort and range of value opportunities we have the ability to look for, both in the UK and globally, there are still a huge number of those stocks that are kind of yet to pay out for us, whether it's in some of the more sensitive sectors to the economy or to a travel recovery or some of the more idiosyncratic opportunities that we've referred to. So absolutely, we still see um, huge opportunities both in our portfolio and in the opportunity set where we can fish for new ideas, which leaves us so excited about our portfolios today. Very good. In fact, I've changed my mind, Alessandro. I'm going to ask you a different question, and this is one which has interested me for, for a while now. Is there a chance, just like you have hybrid cars between petrol and electric, is there a chance that there are hybrid stocks now, hybrid companies that display both growth and value characteristics? Well, that's the, if you can build a portfolio of those, I think you've got a, a perfect portfolio because really what you want is growth that you don't have to pay for. And I think that's, we might borrow your, the way you put it for our marketing deck. I think it's a wonderful, <laughs> if a wonderful way to put it because the confluence of a low valuation with growth is, is one of the highest predictors of, of high future returns. And that's the way we try and build our portfolio. And what's interesting right now is that you can, find companies that are, are growing mid single digits or higher at valuations that are, are practically no growth. You know, we're talking about 10, 11, 12 times earnings. And you can find a collection of them and build a portfolio with them. And it's, uh, it's quite interesting. And we don't have to play games or our discount rates or reducing our, you know, by reducing our, our, our discount rates or reducing our, our expected return or anything like that or ratcheting up our multiple higher and higher. So it's quite an exciting time to be a value manager because in an expensive market, you can still build a portfolio of stocks like this. But it's a very nice way to put it. Yeah. Stephen Alessandro, thank you very much for your time. Steve Woolley and Alessandro Di Carado are both portfolio managers in the value capability at 91 in London.